Okay, we're in Malachim Beis, Perik Yudches. Let's go back to Pasuk Yudches. Sancherv is poised to begin the siege on Yushalayim. The backdrop over here, the after member, is that they have very few people people living in Yerushalayim compared to the 185,000 troops that are now on the doorstep. They have no army to speak of and morale is low. They're in the middle of doing tshuva and learning a lot, which is going to serve them well. It's going to save them. But Chizkiyo would prefer a little more time for the tshuva process, more learning, more schusim, and maybe get a few men to pick up a sword and just stand there and a few riders, some chariots, he had very little. And all of a sudden, the reaction to the non-payment of taxes was very swift. At the end of the day, it's not going to make too much of a difference because what's going to carry this battle and this victory is not a level of preparedness. In the Gashmias, it's the Ruchnias, true in every battle, but over here it's going to be very obvious. And with that said, it's very frightening because the Hamanam really didn't feel that this is something that's possible at all, and uh, they re- really weren't behind Chizkiah 100%. Again, the good news is going to be there are enough from Baalei Bitochen who will be behind him, but it's going to be a close call. The first traitor that we deal with I would say Benedict Arnold, but unfortunately, although he has a pintal yid, he might make Benedict Arnold look good. I don't want to compare a yid to a guy. I'm not even sure what he did, but we don't like him. I mean, Benedict. Um, in history, he goes down as, um, as a traitor. Every war has its traitors. Here, since he's an inside man, he grows up from, so to speak. He's going to be able to give a speech that nobody else can give, which is why Sancherev sends him. Because he can use all the various uh, digs that you have to know the mindset of the defenders to be able to dislodge them or try to dislodge them from not their physical position, but their psychological position and create pandemonium, which he's almost going to be successful in doing, Baruch Hashem, not completely successful. But uh, the few drushes that Novi quotes full length ironically enough, are Rav Shalke's drushes. To show you how good he was, unfortunately, how smart he was, how strong he was, and he was backed by Sancherev, and how close a call this was. That's why these drushes are going to be quoted. We would have, had we been uh, editing this, which Baruch Hashem were not, because it's Novi, we would have said, yeah, there was a guy who was no good, who used to be from, and he's uh, off, and he joined the enemy, and he had a couple of nasty things to say, but we're going to ignore him. Well, we did ignore him, but the couple of nasty things are going to get many, many psukim. So we're going to have to look at what his tactic was. And again, I believe it's to show you how bad it was to see how great the Yeshua is. So let's begin. He comes to the wall and he demands to see the king, which he's not going to get. That would really be a design. Yikru el Melech. So he calls in, he wants to speak to Chizkiyahu himself. Of course, Chizkiyahu is not coming, nor should he. Sancherv didn't come. He sent his underling. 
He sends his committee, his cabinet members. He was paid well. Get the impression that during the Second World War, if you were working in the Russian army or anywhere else in the Russian establishment, if you didn't include every third sentence with the great Stalin, the great leader, the incredible savior of mankind, you were in big trouble. So get used to this because he's going to keep repeating how great Malachasher is, whether he held of it or not, probably not. I don't really think he believed in any of this stuff, but he believed in it enough that he wanted to save his life and he believed he's on the winning side. Let's put it that way. So this business, Kayamar, that's why I, I preface, it's almost painful to read these words. He's going to be one of the famous Megatfim of Shem Hashem, Leolena, in history, and uh, he's got a mouth. So he starts off praising to no end the uh, Melech Asher, and he's going to do the opposite to the real Melech Malchem Elohim. Kayamar, Melech Agadu, Melech Asher, Ma'abitachan Azeh, Shabbatachta. So his opening line is... Uh, this is ridiculous. What are you guys relying on? Why is the door closed and why didn't you surrender already? What are you relying on? And he's going to talk about this on two levels. He accuses them of making an alliance with Mitzrayim, which they probably didn't even do. We don't really know. The Mepharshim don't really care that much. It doesn't really make too much of a difference. But he said, what are you relying on? Is obviously you're a tiny city-state, not much of an army to speak of, and it's not really defendable, and the doors are closed, which means that you want to fight First, you don't pay taxes, which means you're rebelling, and then we come and you don't have an open-door policy, and you don't welcome, welcome us and, and serve uh, tea, coffee, and cake, and pack your bags to leave with us. So who are you relying on? Exactly what plan do you have that you had the chutzpah to be married? So, he was making fun of them, basically. He's saying, like, you don't even have a battle plan. This is ridiculous. What are you thinking? It's a good way to demoralize the people, especially the guards sitting on the wall. And that's who he's talking to. And he has a loud voice with a megaphone. And he's talking to everybody else in the city. Usually, line's not that big. Yes? Just trying to get a timeline here. From the time that he sent the gold from the, from the bosses. Yeah. So, and the gold from the treasury. Yeah, he sent it. And either he fell short of his goal, or more likely... After peeling off the gold on the doors, he actually met his intended tar- target in terms of the number he was given, and then Sancheir, like any good old cruel despot of old, promptly violated the deal and moved on him anyway, which you know, usually would happen in these cases. So there wasn't this, another, an additional act of treason? No, of- no. It's just a good way of making money and then moving in and destroying everything anyway. You'll say, that's not fair? Well, welcome to the ancient world. The modern world's not much better. They're just a little bit more classy about it. Uh, it's, they're, they're not, uh, he, he's, this is all about COVID. You know, Sancheir had enough money. It's all about how dare you. Last night, after the shear in Pseik, one of the participants uh, came over. We got into discussing Chorban Bayashenir, Biyach which we will get to probably in a couple of weeks. And he takes out of his pocket, starts showing me some Roman coins. 
I said, you always walk around with those? Only if I might speak about the Roman destruction of the second bias. I mean, you couldn't, uh, couldn't make that up as bias. The mom takes out, I didn't go home and get it. And if you've seen pictures of these, they're, they're amazing to touch. I'm obviously touching something that, uh, that uh, Rabbi Yechem could have been uh, giving change when he bought, uh, he, he bought his animal for a, for a carbon. And, well, this part he didn't buy for a carbon because a lot of the coins are very famous for uh, Judea Capita, which the Romans didn't mint for any other conquest. Very fascinating. They conquered a lot of people, like the whole world. The only one that they were so excited about, they printed many, they minted many coins. These are all over the place. They're, they're not free, but they're not, uh, you don't have to be a gvirad to buy them. And this guy's got a whole collection of uh, pundians and his and he's got the whole, uh, and the putas, but to touch it and feel it, and, and uh, he showed me what they used for shkolem, and there was a fellow there who actually says piyutim, and he said, oh, that's the one we said by Parsha Shkolem. It was set, it talks about Ketzat Suri, it was seven times the weight. You pick it up, it's fascinating. And you see how excited they were, Dafka about this. They didn't mint these coins on any other occasion, to, certainly to the extent that they were proud they, they conquered Yushalayim. And the answer is, it was a big deal. This is not just another country to conquer. Some Harif had the same feeling. Is These are the Jews, and it's the Jewish God, and this was a religious war as well. And uh, and Rav Shake, representing Sancheir, is going to let us know quite clearly. He keeps repeating uh, the other gods and Zeus and all these other. They didn't do anything. What makes you think you're going to win this war? None of the other gods stood up with it. This became uh, a religious point, which Mr. Shem is going to become a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. The Chorban Ba'isheni Ba'asher Husham obviously wasn't the Kiddush Hashem. That we lost then. The Kiddush Hashem is that I'm holding the coin and all the people spending the coins are dead, buried, and the civilization is gone. That's the Kiddush Hashem. It just took a little longer to prove that. But we're still here. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, feeling to, um, to hold those things. So he's coming on many, this rushes on many levels. So now. Uh, yeah. No, no. It's, it's quaint, that's for sure. It gives you a feeling, but it's uh, not over the seicher. If you walk into the local uh, makolot, they might take it, but only if you convince them it's real and it's worth a lot of money, but that's not spendable. The minute is to use a half a dollar of the currency in your particular country. So a silver half dollar will be, uh, that's the minute. It's not a din anyway, it's only a minute. So yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put that into the plate, and it's probably going to be gone if you do. So... <laughs> So uh, it certainly uh, will give a feeling for what's going on. It's interesting that the uh, Farsham talk about the weights and what they look like. The one he showed me last night, uh, he said this is not even an expensive one because it was a little bit rubbed out, but you can still see the writing with the picture of the, of the Roman soldier standing over the Jew who's sitting with the date palm in the background. The whole, you've all seen pictures of it. If you haven't, you should see one. And they were very proud of this. They didn't mint this when they conquered Mongolia, if they ever got there. Or whatever they conquered, probably didn't get that far. They weren't, they weren't that excited. And then he said, he went recently, the head of the dig, they're now digging in a very far spot, deep by the castle, one of the last spots you can dig. I thought, like, years ago, you would think there's nothing much to find. They're finding things every, uh, every time they dig. It's all there. And he got a private tour where it says, Ankeny saw, and they went in further because he knows the person in charge. He went with his kids recently. And the kids were there, and uh, teenagers, I presume, and the lady who was the head of the uh, dig, has to be a firm lady, told the kids on the spot, he says, you want to dig? They said, what? 
So he said, you want to dig here? He said, you'll find something. Uh, I'll give you five minutes. So showed them, gave them the utensils. First thing they dug up, he has it at home. He's bringing it next week. Maybe I'll ask him if I can bring him over here. We'll put it on video uh, from there. He said he has a, um, a jaw with full teeth of an animal. Like mamish intact, back on the ground. And they took a few samples. This is what the kids found. You know? They didn't go to school for this. And he has it at home. So I said, very interesting, that Mokum was probably the Mokum of the Trumas Hadeshin. Trumas Hadeshin, they say, extended as far as Mayish Aram today. Did they find ash deposits? Uh, so he said, is that a problem like Mila Bakachim? I said, no, it, it might have been Kachim, but it's not Mila anymore. Once they're dinim, once it's already burnt in them as bad. So I asked him, I didn't realize the importance of who I was asking. I said, I'm just wondering why I pictured the, uh, we have Meirav, Keneged, the Hector, and everything got burnt all night to make sure it was good and burnt in ashes. And then they cleared it out. Why is there still a jaw, a whole jaw with teeth? See, so he tells me, uh, teeth, you can burn and burn and burn. Teeth aren't going anywhere. I said, why? He said, enamel is the strongest uh, thing we know of on earth. I said, how do you know that? He said, I'm a dentist. The guy I happened to talk to was a dentist. So he said, the enamel is never, the teeth are always there. Interesting, just go back and learn culture. I don't know, but what they do, every animal um, had teeth, and uh, they're not, I wonder if that made it on. You have to go back and look at the, uh, at the process, but he has the thing at home, and uh, he said he's going to bring it in. I guess as a dentist, he could probably figure out which animal it was, although maybe in dentist school they didn't learn on jaws of animals. I don't know exactly, probably humans, but just fascinating. You can mamish... It's all there. Everything, they keep the lower they dig, then they get the, the next uh, 500 years, the next 500 years, and then, you know, then you get the Chizkiyo HaMelech. It's, it's all, everything we're reading. It's all, it's all buried there. So, here he's, he's talking again. We're reading it. Rav Shaki has gone, unfortunately. Uh, we hope he did shuv at the last minute. Uh, he uh, probably didn't get a promotion when some Samcher saw he wasn't very effective. Probably didn't survive. But an orator he was, and he knew the business, which is what we're reading. Take a look at Rashi in Chaf. Hamarta ach dvars v'asayim eitzig v'ru l'mochama. Rashi, Hamarta adheina adver l'melachasher ach dvars v'asayim hoya. He says, you promise you're going to be good, and you're not rebelling. Calls man shalo yatsa mimkayim elavo alecha. As long as he stayed home and he didn't come with his army, lo tzrachta leitzig v'ru. Basically, what he's saying, you asked me before, but didn't he pay the tribute? The answer is, well, Sancheir feels too little too late, and he's just doing it because he has to, and now we're going to show him, or give him a lesson he's not going to forget. He says, you were very strong and brave as long as we didn't come. You're going to need a battle plan, which he was insinuating he doesn't have. Just tell me, who are your allies? Like, what's... You want to wait until they get here? He was taunting him. We, again, the modern mind, can't picture ancient wars. Sancheir, like the Romans later, liked a good fight. So he was being sarcastic, but even Lu Yitzur, they'd say, no, no, they're coming, just wait a few days. They all lined up. We can't imagine they lined up, and this took days and weeks, and they lined up and lined up and lined up, and then somebody uh, yelled, and then they started fighting. We think that's a very silly way to fight wars. What happened to guerrilla warfare? It wasn't invented yet. Was considered cowardly. So, what? That we we invented many things thousands of years before they figured it out. 
I'm sure in the Revolutionary War, Chaim Solomon, when he gave that big loan, probably told them, by the way, my ancestors didn't fight the war like this. We didn't have big red coats and line up so they could find us and shoot us from the forest. That's all ridiculous. So he probably had a schmooze with the Minutemen and probably told them it's a lot more effective if you shoot from the forest behind a tree. And they probably said, nobody does that. Uh, that's cowardly. He said, well, you might win the war that way. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that's not cowardly. We're not here for showmanship. If, if you're, uh, an Akon might think that uh, going to the Army at 18, I'm here to see the world and kill people, and this is a part of life. I might as well make a show of it. That, that's not, we don't like fighting wars, and if we fight wars, it's out of desperation. So the Kiddush of guerrilla warfare and digging trenches, and even till the Civil War, they still weren't into it. The, they, they were still phasing it in. And uh, that's not, we're not here to show off, and we're not here... Uh, to make this something that's going to make it into the storybooks. We're not interested in fighting wars. So this was a sarcastic, like, there's nobody to rely on. And, but if you have an army that's coming, you know, I'll wait. He's going to make an offer soon uh, to give him horses because I know you don't have, and I'll even uh, provide the horses. You can't even provide riders to put on the horses. You don't even have enough guys to put, even I'll give you horses. That's how pathetic it was. And again, on paper, he sounded right. You're relying on this shvacha stick, this cane al mitzrayim, which again might or might not even been the mitzias, probably not. I saw learned a long time ago not to rely on mitzrayim. It happened a few times during the coup for the kings. Lav Dafka didn't even have an alliance with him. She which means you're relying on Mitzrayim, it's like relying on a cane made of splintered wood, and when you lean on it, it snaps, and you're going to have the wood, the broken wood in your hands, can make a hole in your palm. That's how Shvach Mitzrayim is. If you're relying on them, it's really a joke. Cain Paramelech Mitzrayim L'chol Abedchim Olov. Interestingly enough, uh, in a few weeks, he's going to have, that's al he's going to have a battle with Mitzrayim and Kush that he didn't intend on fighting either. Uh, Mitzrayim is still around. He's going to win the battle, but... He's showing his contempt, these uh, speeches they planned on writing over and distributing to the other nations as well. And they didn't think Moshe Mitzrayim or anybody else for that matter. So if it's a strategic move and Mitzrayim is coming, Rav Shaka says, that's a big joke and that's not going to help you much. You're going to say, again, this Rav Shaka, the Meshumid. So he knows how to talk the talk. He says, I know. He says, strategically, it's mamish a joke. And you say, you're from? You're happy talking? You're relying on Hashem? Which is exactly what they were doing. It's incredible. Brilliant. This is a brilliant move. Because you want to rely on Hashem? He says, Hashem is not going to help you because you're not doing his... Bidding, you're not doing his uh, karbonus right. Because Chizkiyo got rid of all your bummus, which used to sacrifice things to God. He's not going to help you now because he got rid of all the bummus. Here he took the great, one of the greatest chizkiyos they finally got rid of the bummus. Chizkiyo did that, and he's using it to turn them on Chizkiyo. The Chizkiyo is not on their side trying to create a situation where they can't win. He says, Chizkiyo got rid of your bummus. You can't even worship Hashem now at the convenience of your barbecue on your deck which is the sentiment of many people, as we learned many times. They were pretty upset he finally got rid of those bummers. So Rav Shaki knows that because he's from them and he's using it against them. So he says, you can't even bring sacrifices. That's totally not true. They can 
purpose was to go to the base of Mitish. So he includes that also. And he says, and you know why Chizkiyo got rid of your bummers? So you can bring to his central boma, so he can make money. I'm just, I don't even want to say the words, but I'm explaining to explain to you his drosha. He's only in it for himself, and this has nothing to do with your protection, and maybe you could have protection through God. He's not going to help you now. Because Chizkiyo took your ability to do that away, and he did it for his own self Enrichment and covered, and that's what he says at the end of the sentence. Only one Mizbeach. So if you weren't from and you didn't know the uh, real reason, if you didn't know who Chizkiah was, this is propaganda at its best. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's unfortunately very good. He says, I have a gracious offer from my boss. As I just mentioned, he says, I'll give you, you're so pathetic. He says, I'll make you a wager. I'll make you a bet. I'll give you the chariots and the horses, which they happen to have needed if they wanted to fight a, uh, a normal war, which they're not going to fight. And He says, you can't even supply 2,000 soldiers to put on the horses I would give you. That's how pathetic you are. Everybody's sitting here listening, to, standing there, sitting there listening to this. Rashi, Chavbez, Hello, Asher, Heser, Chizkiel, Rashi, before Yeshlum, Mikandu, Avshaki, Yisrael, Mumer, Hoyas. Rashi says, another riot, it's Machlikis, but it's another riot that he was Yisrael, Mashum, and how would he know this incident information? How would he know the sensitive issue of removing the Bamas and all the religious overtones? He's mentioning God. He said, Yeah, maybe God could have helped you if you would have brought sacrifices in your backyard, but you can't even do that anymore. Chav Gimel, His Arivna, His Baralai, Boy Be'eravan, I'll supply the horses, which are the equivalent to the tanks. You can't even get tank commanders. You don't even have people to ride on the horses. So uh, you can imagine how demoralizing all this was because there were many people, many, many people in the city who agreed with him, who thought this was an impossible situation. They couldn't figure out why Chizkiah was willing to fight this and why they didn't surrender already. Keep in mind what's coming as part of these rushes is a very gracious offer, which I'm not 100% sure, but I think at this point Sanchayr still would have done. Sanchayr is going to tell Avshaki to remind them, I don't uh, burn down the city and kill the people. I maybe burn down the city. I take the people and move them to a nice place and they dig in, make farms and vineyards. And He's going to promise them to take them to a place as good as Eretz Yisrael. He's not even going to promise a place better because they wouldn't believe him because there was no place better. So he said, my, uh, my modus operandi, I uh, conquer every country, I move over and I uh, go to this country, that country, that country, and move you over here, and I do tremendous population distribution. I'm sure plenty of people died on the way to move 100,000 people at a time. was uh, almost sounded like a death march, but even if a lot of them got there, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to kill anybody. It's a promising, safe passage. So that really got the people here. They're fighting a war they can't win. And he's promising them that they're going to leave and go to Uganda, a place almost as good. Which it's not, by the way, because he didn't promise what he's going to do with Idi Amin. So it's not, not much of a promise. But wherever he wanted to move them, we don't know where it was, Africa or some other part of the Middle East, but he's going to put this in. You can't even fight a battle against one of my officers. We'll see in Rashi in a moment. Who's in charge of many people? And you're relying on Egypt to supply you with horses and chariots, which they were known for. 
Mepharshim again point out that we don't even know if there was such a Havmin of an alliance, but it's irrelevant. Look at Rashi and Chavdalad. Ech Toshiv es Penei Pachas Achas Echad Avdi Adeni Shaharei how powerful the army was. The smaller officers had a battalion of 2,000 men. And you can't even get that about the people to put on horses to fight, even if I give you the horses. The 185,000 people were officers. Each one was an officer of 2,000 men. That's a pretty exponential number. And this is what they're looking at when they look out the window of Yushalayim. You can faint just from the scene. And with Avshakti's drushas, it's not getting any easier. And then he keeps vacillating between his pointing out how pathetic the military situation was and the feeble attempt at defense of Yushalayim, and then the frumtainas. And here comes his next frumtaina. This is very frum. I say that sarcastically. Atta ha nibaladei Hashem alisi alamakam azel he says, who do you think brought me here? You think I was able to conquer the whole world and advance on Yishalayim without God's approval? I'm using the English version. He said, well, you think, you think your God doesn't agree with me? How do you think I got here? I'm very full. We think I don't know that Hashem sent me here now. We know Sanchev knew what was going on in the world and he knew he believed in many gods, another god. What did he care? So, Nuchanetzer was called upon to destroy Beisamitish. He didn't want to come. He said, yeah, I'm going to destroy the Tezmet. And then Hashem's going to punish me. He believed in Hashem. He didn't want to go until there were enough simanim uh, that he's the man. And then he overdid it and Hashem did punish him. So here he's saying that it's obviously divinely ordained that I should be the one taking over over here because otherwise I wouldn't make it. Which in its uh, very corrupt, convoluted way is the kernel is true. Of course, what he doesn't know yet is he was brought here by Hashem to have his entire army wiped out at the gates of Yerushalayim to make a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. He doesn't know that part yet. But uh, the fact that he's here, yes, Hashem allowed it. This is the end of part one of his drasha, and their reaction was one of extreme uh, fear, obviously. They weren't Chizkiyo and Melech. As a matter of fact, the one member of this cabinet, Shevna, is going to become a renegade himself. Their first answer is, Peladik answer. What's their response? He said, please, Mr. Rabbi Dr. Avshake, I'll give him whatever cover he wants, uh, especially if they're trying to reach the Pintali. Is the only way I can explain this, this reaction. Do me a favor, can you first speak a little lower and speak Aramaic? We're part of the king's royal cabinet. We know many languages. We can understand you. Can you stop speaking Yiddish or whatever he was doing? Because the people on the wall understand that language. The people inside understand that you've got to demoralize them. So can you please stop using that language? You want to speak to us and negotiate. Speak to us in a language that we can understand they can't. What in the world were they thinking about that request? What? Why was he speaking perfect Lashon HaKadosh? Switching from Lashon HaKadosh to Yiddish, Yeshivish. Wanted to make, he, he was trying to demoralize the people. That's why he was doing it. So they said, uh, Sir, can you please uh, switch to Aramaic? We know you know it. We know it. What, what was the Havamina? He's not going to listen. What's the Havamina? Havamina is they know him. They were probably in Yeshiva with him. And they said, Look, we know and you know there's a pintle lead over here. 
last chance, can you maybe have some Rahmanas on us? He says, you're going to demoralize all the people. He's not going to listen, but I believe that was the attempt. Why else would the, He's not here to cooperate. So immediately, we're not going to do this now, we don't want to go to the Peliades, he's going to start screaming louder and give another drosha. Very sad situation. Very sad for the Shama of Shake, but they made an attempt. Let's go to the Peliades. Uh, the short list over there is very short. Uh, he's uh, very sad because uh, when Amashumid in Europe, this is the way it was, they, they became the most dangerous people. That's what we're talking about Shabbos afternoon. And put the guy in Chayim and became a Mashumid. Not only was it a Shailah for his Neshama, but uh, he became often very dangerous. You had to take that into consideration also. Now, this guy was paid well and he thinks he's going to become very famous. He became very famous, but we call it infamous. And um, he thinks this is the only way to rise in the ranks in the Gaisha world. That's where he was, and that's where he wanted to be. They figured, uh, whatever happened to him, he's uh, got to be there somewhere in the Pintaliyids. There's got to be something in the Shama. Maybe we could bring him back. That's, uh, they tried this with Kapos in the camps also. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But the Kapo, at least, uh, not to explain what they did in the such a favorable light, but they were in the concentration camp as well. This guy didn't, didn't need this job. He's thinking, and many others agreed with him, that uh, he's on the winning side, and there's no way is going to pull this off, so better to be alive and paid well. And uh, they want to do some mitzvahs later, you'll figure it out when you get there. Not that he was interested at this point. Very sad. Let's go to page Kuflam and Aleph. We start a new entry today on Dira. Now, if you remember... He had a different entry that spoke about Dira as in construction and extending your home and redoing your home, where he brought the Chazal and he strongly advised you, if you're ever doing any construction, allow double the price in the budget. Whatever your number is, double it. And there were people here, we had a whole discussion afterwards, some people said you should triple it. <laughs> Guess that's inflation. And some people said that uh, maybe he had a very bad contractor that was said tongue-in-cheek. He probably never enlarged his house. He lived in a hovel, uh, my guess is, and he's quoting a chazal, so no room for any sarcasm. Sarcasm, chazal understood that if Dafkin construction, it's the most expensive investment we make, our house. The home is, uh, costs a lot of money, and whatever you budget, be prepared. And the reason chazal are getting involved in this financial advice is because chazal always give financial advice. They don't want anybody going under. And they understand that if a person's under financial pressure, it could affect his day and his Talmud Torah and his Ruchnius. And they warn you, if you have deep pockets, so make a budget for a million if you can afford two. That was his sage advice on the previous entry we covered about a half a year ago. This dira is going to be from the Ruchnius standpoint, where should one choose to live? which is an incredibly important decision, a decision that can affect his Ruchnius, his family's Ruchnius. Uh, you are or you can become, and your family certainly can become, the people who you associate with. And that's what he's going to discuss, based on all the Chazals. First thing is, try to live near your Rebbe. Purpose being that Closer you are, you want to do things that are wrong, and he sees you, you'll be embarrassed, he won't do them, and you'll be prodded to be on your best behavior. 
V'emyucha alodor eitzel tamad chacham, gam ken yimsatayv. It's not your Rebbe, tamad chacham, you'll still be on your best behavior. Pachas yifchel alodor eitzel ish tzadik tamad yashar. Not that, at least live among Eloch HaYidin. Sharei zedayim eliyeshu betzad afray samayim. We don't have too many persimmons trees around here, but uh, you had to be there for the mushal. But you can imagine, if you're sitting for a long time next to a tree like this, you're going to end up smelling nice. Even if you don't even talk to the tree. Even if you don't hug the tree. You don't have to be a liberal. Uh, you could uh, just stand there and be kailet the ishra, And if your neighbors are not up to par, then you're near petroleum. If you work in a gas station, what's the famous expression? You could take uh, the man out of the gas station, you can't take the gas station out of the man. They said that about a tannery, I think, but it's the same idea. It, it's going to rub off. It's a very famous, Rashi brings it down with it's a very serious thing. It's, if you can help it, look, you can't always choose where you live. And sometimes people are in cities uh, temporarily or in business for long periods of time where like, there's nobody around and they're all people who aren't doing terror mitzvahs. But you've got to know what you're up against and prepare. The famous Maisa, there was a Rosh Hashiva who was um, collecting in the 30s here in America. America was a real midbar in many places. There was some Elif Hayidin, but it was, it was tough. And he ended up, Erev Shabbos, being in this very out-of-town place if you recall the, the story, you recall the city in the Rosh Hashiva. And he found himself too close to Shabbos, and he was stuck in wherever he was, and he didn't know anybody. A lonely enough existence, these have come for months at a time. So he starts looking for mezuzahs. He can't like, look up very quickly, he didn't carry around the white pages. And uh, he started walking around town looking for mezuzahs. He finally found a house and a mezuzah. You've got to start somewhere. Not that many people are from. So he knocks on the door. Nobody answers. Knocks on the door again. Nobody answers. Like Shabbos already is getting cold. Knocks on the door. After knocking a few times, the fellow finally answered the door. He comes to the door, and he was overjoyed. An dressed for Shabbos, and uh, he answered the door, and he didn't look too happy. He said hello. He opened the door. He's probably also surprised to see where she was standing there. And uh, he said, "You have a place for Shabbos?" He looked at him. He said, "Yeah." He's like, "What's the place?" He came in. Throughout Shabbos, and I had a wonderful Shabbos, and they talked and learning, and they, the guy was the spo, both of them. And uh, he asked them, I'm just curious, I guess when he got to know him, I knocked on the door like three or four times. What took you so long to open the door? He just wanted to know, like it sounded like you were ignoring the knock. He said, tell you the truth, um, I live here, and it's a long story how I got here, there's nobody here in the city that's from, no one. And... I don't answer the door and I rarely walk out of the house. I don't know how he got to work, if he had work. He said, it sounds like he was a youth Tamachal sitting and learning there. I don't answer the door because the Tumah here in the Abbas, I just can't. So I don't open the door. Somebody knocks the door. I'm used to not answering the door because uh, there are a lot of people who uh, want to maybe meet their new neighbor and I'm not interested. And that's not antisocial, even though it sounds like it is. That, that was a desperate attempt to remain alive spiritually. So I, I don't have Rosh Hashivas visiting me often. I didn't answer the door. I was as shocked as you were shocked to see me. I was as shocked to see you. I'm thrilled to have you here, but um, that's how bad it was. I, just, I had nobody to associate with.
And that's Baruch uh, Hashem here. We don't have that issue. And most towns, even smaller communities, have a nucleus. And that's Baruch Hashem. Certainly with the advent of uh, the mini and all the other things that were mechazic, the out-of-town places, and it's Gavaldic. It wasn't always like that, and it was difficult. Rak Shemi Shehu Shachen Eitzel Tamachacham Yelech Etzlo Tadav Yilmubidrachov. And if you have the opportunity the resource, don't just let the positive atmosphere try to get in by osmosis. Go learn something. And if you don't follow instructions and learn, certainly if it's your Rebbe or if it's somebody who could have become your Rebbe, and you're doing the wrong thing, it's worse. Because you had the opportunity, you're seeing a fine example. And this goes for your immediate neighbors, it goes for the city. Now the Rambam does say, if you have a chance to live in Eitzel, even in a city that's Roy Vakum, more than a city in America, Chutzlar is a Roy Yisrael. But it doesn't mean you should go live in Ramallah for other reasons also. Not Ramallah, Ramallah. There's a difference. Difference. One's Sakhanas Tafashis, one's you just have to not go out late at night, but it's, there, are, there are shuls there. So if you find a minion, you find a chevra, and you have everything, and it's doable, so then, then okay. And you have Kedusha Seitz Yisrael, but you got to make sure that you have the chevra that's going to push you to grow. Mind you, he's writing this at a time, there weren't that many people there. And not a huge infrastructure, but it was possible. He's going to go on to say that if you're choosing within Eretz Yisrael, Yushalayim, when it's doable, goes first because it's Yushalayim and you have added Kedusha and added Siyat Okay, Mitzvah Shem will continue next week.